The following podcast is from Tabernacle Baptist Church in Cartersville, Georgia. Thanks for listening. Church family, if you have a copy of God's Word with you, and I hope you do, find your place in Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13, and this morning we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. And I'm beginning a series within the book of Mark entitled, The End. And over several weeks, we're going to look at biblical truth concerning the end of time. And Jesus gives us this truth here for our own good, for our own wisdom, so that we might have strength and comfort as we live life in a fallen world. The end. Verses 1 through 8, Mark shares teaching from our Lord Jesus, teaching designed to help disciples have the proper response to end time events. Uh, Know this, there's a lot of fascination when it comes to the end. In regard to calendar dates, events, and personalities, Antichrist, when will the rapture occur? Will there be a literal 1,000-year reign of Jesus on earth? Where does the nation of Israel play into all of these things? And indeed, those are questions for which we can find answers in Scripture. However, I want us to focus in a more general fashion here at the teaching of Jesus and try to go word by word, line upon line, looking at what our Lord says. My desire is for us to walk away with truth concerning the end of time, but then also real-world practical application concerning how we ought to live. Let's set the text here and look at what occurs in verse number one. It says, as he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, teacher, look, what massive stones, what impressive buildings. We know from Mark chapter 11 that Jesus has here on the Holy Week, the week of his death, visited the temple complex and in doing so, he issued some stern warnings. He gave a condemnation of the phony religious system of the religious elite of his day. He, he didn't make friends, in a sense. He chased people from the religious complex. He had come to show that a more better way to God, according to Hebrews 10, was on the scene. He himself was the Messiah. He had pronounced a judgment over a bankrupt system of religion. And just a passage earlier in Mark 12, 41 through 44. And now they're at the temple complex, and this temple place has place of prominence in Jesus' end times teaching. And it is important in our passage before us because Jesus will speak of its coming destruction and of the way in which he would transition from primarily working amongst the Jews to the church age working amongst the Gentiles. But all of his debates and confrontations with the religious leaders had obviously put some tension in the air and seeking to relieve that tension, one of the disciples, we'll blame it on Peter, 
tries to transition or change the subject and says, wow, look, what beautiful buildings, Jesus. Man, could he chill out a little bit? And Jesus, in response to Peter, says in verse number two, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. Now that was a strong proclamation in the first century world. One, this was the hub, the center, the apex of the Jewish religion, the holy place and the most holy place for Jews to think of this place being decimated. That was strange, at least. And it was unthinkable. And then just practically speaking, the Jewish historian Josephus tells us that this temple complex had some stones up to 40 feet in length the size of a school bus. For this thing to be toppled, it would take a miracle indeed, some cataclysmic event. Yet Jesus speaks strongly and he speaks authoritatively. Hear the words of your Lord this morning. He says, not one stone will be left upon another. He uses in the Greek a double negative. Now we are not supposed to use double negatives in the English language, are we? I remember being corrected about this in school. I've often thought it would be neat to argue with people who use double negatives. Went through a drive through not long ago and ordered something, and the lady on the other side of the speaker said, we ain't got none of those. <laughs> double negative. Thought about engaging her in argumentation and saying, well, technically, if you ain't got no, that means you've got some. You have doubly negated yourself. I didn't think I'd get that far with that. <laughs> Jesus here uses a double negative. And get it, in English, that's bad English, but it was good Greek in the first century. It was a way of saying this thing will certainly take place. It was a way of placing great emphasis on a reality. And Jesus here is recorded using such a grammatical construction to show us and to prove that his words will certainly, beyond a shadow of a doubt, take place. Oh, have faith in Jesus this morning and recognize that he is in control of the timeline of human history. It says all will be thrown down. And ultimately, his words will be shown to be true. In 70 A.D., at the hands of Titus, the temple complex was ransacked. There was a great famine. Josephus would tell us, the Jewish historian, that around a million lives were lost. This was ultimately, when it occurred in A.D. 70, a fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy right here in the Bible. Jesus' words are true. He proves that he is indeed a legit prophet. We know he's more than a prophet. He is the Son of God. So when he speaks, we can trust in his words, and we can bank our lives on them. This event was intended like the gift of tongues to be a sign of condemnation for the Jews. To show that Jesus, that the Lord would move from primarily working amongst the Jewish people. There's no need for a temple complex anymore. 
The gospel has gone to the Gentiles, Romans eleven twenty five. We are living right now in the last days, the church days, the time of the Gentiles, a time in which the Spirit of God is moving and wooing the hearts of men, women, boys, and girls unto King Jesus. These are the days in which we live. We're in the last days. We see here in verse number 3 that Jesus and his disciples were sitting, the Bible tells us, they were sitting on the Mount of Olives, a place according to the minor prophets that had great significance in end times theology. Across from the temple, we, we can see Jesus with the disciples resting and reclining, maybe having a midday meal, and they're on the Mount of Olives, and from the Mount of Olives they can see Solomon's illustrious temple. It's a picturesque scene. And one asks, tell us, when will these things happen? The temple's going to be destroyed. When will these things happen? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? The question is similar to the one the disciples would ask in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, right before Jesus ascended into heaven. They still believe that Jesus was about to initiate his earthly kingdom. They thought he was about to chase out the Roman dogs and establish his righteous reign forever. They were ready for the culmination of all things. We know this is true because in Romans chapter 14, when the local authorities would come to apprehend Jesus in the garden, one of them would pull out a sword and cut off the ear of one of the servants there. The disciples were expecting war. They were ready for a battle. They're ready to kick things off and to get it started. So they asked, when will these things happen? And Jesus, in response to the question of verse 4, gives us Mark chapter 13, verses 5 through 37. We'll go through this passage over several weeks, but know that the entirety of the passage is all an answer to that question in verse number 4. Jesus wanted his disciples, to be prepared with an appropriate response to end-time events. And know this this morning, friend, from Holy Spirit-inspired Scripture, Jesus wants you as a disciple to have your mind and your soul prepared for end-time events. Remember his words, don't let your heart be troubled. You don't need to be overcome with fear because of what you see going on in the world. You can fight fear with faith knowing you have truth and instruction from Jesus. You don't need to be scared and live in an out-of-control way. You don't need to back down from your devotion to Christ and shrink into a corner and to give up on living the Christian life and witnessing for Jesus. Jesus here has given truth for your life. He wants you as his child to be equipped with some simple, practical truth this day and age, these last days in which we live. How can you be prepared to respond appropriately to end-time events? That's the question from our passage. And we see here three responses you should have, I should have, we should have to the Lord's truth concerning the last days. Do you want to stand strong and secure? Do you want to have joy in the midst of the end of all things? Three responses you should have. Number one, don't listen to spiritual lies. Don't listen 
to spiritual lies. Now, now look at how Jesus says this in verse number five. Jesus begins to give his instruction. Again, he's responding to the question in verse number four. And the Bible says, Jesus told them, watch out that no one deceives you. Watch out that no one deceives you. He uses this word, watch out. It's a Greek word that meant to be aware, beware, to be on the lookout. So at all times, for you to be strong, secure, for you to have joy and peace during the last days in which we live, here is the teaching of Jesus. You must be on the lookout. Thursday evening, our boys had a little league game. Will was up to bat. He had a foul ball. I was sitting on the front row of the bleachers. It was coming into the bleachers. And people began to yell, look out, watch out. I thought I would save everybody. I jumped up to catch that ball with one hand. And I would have caught it. But it was about, it was so close to clearing the top railing of the fence that I thought it's going to hit that bar and ricochet and hit me in the face. So at the last minute, I got a little bit scared and I backed out. It never hit the bar. Bar fell straight down on my foot. Ah, my toe. Look out. Watch out. Get it this morning. Jesus has a word for you from Scripture in the midst of all of the crazy things going on in foreign countries and in this country, in the midst of all that you see going on in the news, considering all of the false Christian teachings and lies about God that are in this world, you need to be on the spiritual lookout. Beware. Why? Jesus says, so that no one deceives you. Now, now the idea here of deception is that of one leading another astray or causing another to wander. Not long ago, we took a walk through the woods behind our house. Pettit Creek is behind our house, but you got to go through the woods to get there. The woods are really thick. Went out there with a machete and tried to clear a path. We got all the way to the creek after I cleared the path. I told the family, let's go out and see the creek. This will be nice. Kids swam in the creek. We're on the way back. On the way back, you don't see the path from the same perspective. So I'm leading. Everybody stay right behind Daddy. Don't move. Next thing I can see, some houses through the woods. It's not our house. <laughs> We've taken a diversion. Laura asked, do you know where you're going? The answer to that is always, yes, I know where I'm going. We ended up a little bit lost because they were following one who didn't know where he was going. Get Jesus' warning. Throughout the church age, there are going to be teachers and preachers wearing the name Christ. He even says, some will say, I am the Christ. There will be those who will aim to lead people astray from the pure gospel from plain Bible teaching. Pay attention, church, at many of the most popular Christian teachers. Pay attention to their teaching and notice how little mention there is of the blood, of the cross, of the resurrection, of repentance and faith. Notice how much good self-help teaching there is, but sometimes how little gospel teaching there is. I'm convinced in this day and age in which we live in, 
There needs to be people standing up speaking the truth in love, and we need gospel preaching like never before. The Bible teaches and warns us, Jesus, King Jesus warns us, watch out that no one deceives you. Don't get off course with health and wealth. Don't get off course with just simple self-help Christianity. Stick to the true faith delivered once and for all, Jude 1, to the saints. Jesus says, be people who seek to deceive you. So we must not listen to spiritual lies. Christians in this generation should be aware that erroneous doctrine and false religion will be one of the defining marks of the last days. Now, I love studying end time stuff. I've done it. I've preached through the book of Daniel, preached through the book of Revelation, have all my notes, love great truth from those books. I've got convictions and opinions and ideas concerning the end of times. Sometimes I'm a little bit weary of preachers who have charts and outlines and graphs and pictures. They focus so much on those things and they forget the practical warnings of our passage here. And what's more, I'm often, I'm often concerned when people talk about the end of times and they fail to remember the words of Jesus here that there will be a great deception in the last days. And even Paul said... Those days will not come unless the apostasy comes first. I think there's a need to remind 21st century Christianity, especially in America, that the first event on the Lord's end time calendar is a great deception within the church. An apostasy, a falling away from the pure gospel message and the word of God. So disciples of every generation should be on guard. Are you sticking to the pure word of God? Are you living gospel Christianity? Disciples of every generation should be on the lookout. The Bible clearly teaches that the church age will be infiltrated by corrupt doctrine that wears the label Christian. It also teaches that such perversion will get progressively worse as the last days increase. 2 Thessalonians 2.3 says, Don't let every, anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first. So we're on the lookout. Many of us look to natural disasters, famine, plagues, pandemics, and say, boy, it's the signs of the times. Know this as a believer. The Bible says the apostasy will be the first sign. 2 Timothy 3, 13 through 14 tells us this about the last days. Evil people in, and imposters will become worse. King James says they'll grow worse and worse. Deceiving and being deceived. And it, Paul followed up with that teaching in 2 Timothy 4 by encouraging the young preacher, no, no matter what anyone says, make sure you week in and week out preach the word, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine because the time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine, but they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. So we know from Scripture, if you want to be on guard here for the last days, if you want to be ready to respond, don't listen to spiritual lies. Make sure that your life is grounded in the truth. Make sure you read the Bible regularly yourself. 
and that you know what God's word says. Make sure you shun any teacher, preacher, person who deviates from the plumb line of Scripture. Don't listen to spiritual lies. Number two, I would say this. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Now, I love my grandparents. All my grandparents have passed away, but I can remember growing up and had grandparents that would talk about the signs of the times. I can remember when I was in college, I went down one weekend with my grandfather to visit his sister in Columbus, Georgia, and listen to all of them sitting around the table talking about how bad things are in the world. Man, I almost needed a Xanax. I can remember as a kid, um, I can remember as a kid, you know, people sitting around hearing older people talk in the church and talk about how bad everything is in the world. Then you would hear somebody, they had no other words to describe it, so they'd say, boy, I'm glad I'm not one of these kids. I have to grow up living in this world. I hate to see what they're going to face. I thought, well, should I even bother being alive? Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. There's a lot of truth to that. The Bible indeed teaches that things will get worse and worse as we get to the end of time. But also, let's, let's balance all of that with his great admonition and encouragement from Jesus. He says in our passage, look at verse number 7. Jesus says, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, listen, don't, don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. These things must take place. The original language of the text, there's a small Greek word made up of three letters that is normally translated, it is necessary. Jesus tells his disciples, don't be afraid. Why? All of these things are necessary. For first century folk, that meant, hey, the temple must be destroyed because God is moving from working in the midst of that sacrificial system to working in the hearts of men through the Holy Spirit by the death, blood, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. These things must take place for the time of the Gentiles to come into being. Don't be afraid, disciples. For us here in this far day, far fulfillment of this prophecy teaches us when there are wars and rumors of wars in our days when there are famines and earthquakes when there is a great apostasy know this the lord has a divine design in all of those events the great apostasy will prove that mankind's heart is indeed crooked and depraved beyond remedy The great tribulation will be used by the Lord, all of those events, to bring an end-time revival amongst the Jews. As he used Nebuchadnezzar and Darius and Babylon, the captivity, he will once again use world powers to make the Jews see the need for their deliverer. All of these things will be necessary. God has a divine design in every event and every purpose that will occur at the end of time. Because he is in control. And he is sovereign. and He has orchestrated these things. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be alarmed. The prohibition here is against a 
One is said a mental state of anguish that involves inward fear and fright. Inward fear and fright. Now, I, can I speak as lovingly as I can this morning? And I speak with one finger pointing at you and three pointing back at me as I preach. But I believe one of the most unspoken sins, one of the sins most unspoken of in the 21st century church is this very sin of fear. Let's hear the words of Jesus this morning. It's so easy for us to, as a church to focus on outward sins, immorality, gross injustice, and then to forget that fear in the heart before the Lord is a sin. It is a sin because it is the opposite of faith. Oh, and it's so appealing. We sometimes, I sometimes think I'm so sophisticated in all of my fear. I have the ability to foresee every possible evil or wrong or problem. We have the tendency to maybe deceive ourselves and think that this is some sort of defense mechanism. Now know this, the Lord wants you to use good sense and to be careful and to be safe and to have common vigilance, but he worries you about being, he he warns you about being over-concerned. The Bible tells us in Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing. But in all things, and all means all, all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And Jesus here tells us, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be afraid. Fight fear with faith. Remember this great promise of Scripture that is found from the front cover of the Bible to the back cover of the Bible. My wife has often reminded me from her Bible study, she's seen this. It's a promise mentioned over and over again. The Lord repeatedly tells his children, fear not, for I am with you. So know this, every time you give in to unhealthy, inordinate fear, you're going against the will of God for your life, but you're also forgetting that greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. Fear is the opposite of faith. This day and age in which we live in, we've got to be careful. We can watch the news and give in to an unhealthy anxiety. Oh, I've been there. Just three minutes of news can get my heart racing and I'm ready for a boxing match, baby. We've got to be careful in this world in which we live in that we don't scroll social media and let all the corrupt complaints and carnal comments of people who aren't walking with God determine our frame of mind. We've got to keep our eyes first and foremost on the truth and let what thus saith the Lord says guard our emotions and our thinking. And we got to remember that if Jesus was here this morning, if we said, Lord, can you give us a lecture on end time events? He would start just as he did with his disciples and say, church, don't be scared. Don't be afraid. Keep the faith. Know that I'm in control. 
no world leader, no pandemic, no news agency determines the course of human events. I've got justice in one hand and love in another. Trust me. Don't be scared. Remember John 10, 29. The Lord's got you in his hand and no one can snatch you out. Remember Philippians 1, 6. The apostle was sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day, that's end times language, the day of Jesus Christ. So let famine, let earthquakes, let pandemics, let natural disasters come and go. Jesus is in control and one day we'll be with him. And when we've been there 10,000 years, all this smut of a fallen world is not going to matter. So don't be scared. Lastly, I'd say this. Jesus reminds us in his word that if you want to be ready to respond, you need to stay committed. Stay committed to the Lord. Jesus here speaks in verse 8 of nation rising up against nation. And indeed, in A.D. 66, there was a great Jewish rebellion that preceded the overthrow of the temple in A.D. 70. And then A.D. 73 and 74 was marked by a great war that reached its apex with the slaughter on Mount Masada. Things took place within the lifetime of Jesus' disciples that would fulfill the Lord's words. But we know prophecy has a way of having a near fulfillment, fulfilled near the time of the original prophet. It also has a time of having a far-off fulfillment. We see that here. Jesus teaches us that there would be nation rising against nation, earthquakes that occurred in the first century that rocked cities like Crete and Rome and Phrygia. Those natural disasters in the first century stood as a fulfillment of God's word. There were also famines, a great famine took place with Titus siege of Jerusalem there was also four there were also a few other famines during the reign of Claudius one is mentioned in Acts eleven twenty eight. all of Jesus words here were fulfilled in the first century but we believe according to scripture Revelation chapter 6 check it out sometime there's all these different horses that represent things that will happen at the end of time and we're told once again at the end of time such things will occur in great intensity. And Jesus here speaks of how the wars, the earthquakes, and famines have both a near and far fulfillment by saying, look at the verse, end of verse 8, these are the beginning of birth pains. These are the beginning of birth pains. This sentence right here is a great key for you understanding Bible prophecy. It's a metaphor. Birth pains is one used repeatedly by the prophets of the Old Testament. Isaiah 13, 8, Jeremiah 4, 31, Hosea 13, 13, Micah 4, 9 through 10. Jesus used this metaphor to demonstrate the way in which the signs of the times will persist throughout the church age. However, as Christ's coming draws near, the signs will increase in intensity. 
So just as a woman may have initial birth pains that grow more intense as the delivery of a child draws near, so also in the church age, these birth pains, wars, earthquakes, famine, had their initial beginning in Jesus' day. The Bible teaches they will reach a fever pitch, a climax at the end of time. One can say that such birth pains are a reminder that the Christian's perspective concerning the end of time should always be one of eminency. It could happen at any moment. We see the signs all around us. Yet also, we have this not yet attitude. We ultimately don't know when Christ will return. Jesus said no one can know that hour. So we, as Paul instructs us in Titus 2.13, we are called to wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus' words here concerning birth pains remind us that there will be signs, but ultimately we don't know the precise hour that Christ will return. So what is our response? We wait in hope and in faith, and we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. See, our primary response isn't to be one in which we try to figure it out. Instead, our primary response is to be one of faith. We are dependent upon Jesus. You see timetables and chronological charts and spooky speculation ultimately don't edify a lot. Sure, there's a need to know certain events and figures and things that will happen, but mature Christians know their utmost call is to live committed to the Lord. End times truth should be something that strengthens our hope, our resolve, something that energizes our witness, and something that serves as a catalyst for our sanctification. Peter in 2 Peter 3, 11 through 12 said this, since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you ought to be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. So remember, according to the New Testament, there's a lot of things that are going to happen in the end, but our first response is to be one of perfecting holiness and the fear of the Lord, seeking to be the people He wants us to be, being people of personal worship, having a daily time in God's Word and prayer, being people who fight sin in our own lives, being people who regularly gather, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, with the church for worship, and being people that seek to take the gospel to this world because we know at any moment Jesus can return. And when he returns, what will matter most is what we've done for the Lord. And what will matter most is the state of souls whether people have been born again, whether people have been saved. So we as a church should use these signs as something to encourage us to stay committed to the Lord. For more information, visit us online at tabernaclebaptist.org. Thanks for listening.